Welcome everyone to Be Better Betters. I'm the host, Spanky. Thanks for listening. My guest this week went from working for Fortune 100 companies to being one of the biggest movers in the business. He's recently retired and here to share all his incredible story. Please welcome my good friend, Brant England. Brant, thanks for coming on, brother. Hey, good evening, Spank. Good Great evening, to be my on friend. your show. It's an honor to be on your show. Thank you. Thank you, brother. The pleasure's all mine. So, Brant, tell me, how was life growing up? Well, growing up, my dad worked for a large company. We moved nine times in 18 years, moved all over the Midwest and stuff. I you know, played sports, played golf, uh, had a had a pretty normal normal upbringing, um, nothing, nothing crazy, just, uh, enjoyed it and actually didn't mind moving around. I think it made me a better person, a world, more worldly person, more outgoing person. And when you moved all those times, nine times in 18 years, this is because your dad had to travel for his position. Yeah. He got promoted and the company it was very common for the company. Like there'd be a problem at a plant and they'd send him there to solve it. And there'd be a problem somewhere else. And we'd go there. So, and we were at the home office um, in Toledo, where I went to school, so how uh, three different times during that eighteen years. Gotcha. So you learned how to make friends real fast, and 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 do you still have friends from that time when you were a kid, moving all that time? Do you keep in touch with anybody? Not really from the young ages. I still keep in in touch with guys from college and the fraternity and stuff like that, but not really, you know, pre eighteen year old uh, friends. Gotcha. Okay, so you're moving around. When do, when do you first get introduced to gambling? Is it before you go to school? Where did you go to school? Well, it was funny. I was I was in seventh and eighth grade, and it was in uh, Streeter High School, Illinois. And, and my parents were pretty open about things, and they would rather have me have friends over and do things than be out in the street and causing trouble. You know, all kinds of trouble you can get into, and or doing drugs or drinking or whatever. So I started playing poker. Yeah, I'm not a poker player now, and I never played professionally, but we used to play, you know, you, everyone would bring $20, $30, and we'd play poker, and, and and we had the greatest time. So we'd be drinking Coke and eating popcorn and playing poker in seventh and eighth grade. So that's the first time I gambled, and I loved it. Love it. Did you uh, read any books, or did you get good, or did you, you know? No, or- I didn't really read any books. The only thing I was good at is I had a lawn and landscape business. I started cutting grass when I was 10 years old, so I had saved up quite a bit of money, so you know, 20, 30, 40 dollars wasn't a lot to me. So I was pretty good at bluffing and I could pretty much bluff them out of their money. So it was, it was <laughs> I kind of had a little bit of an advantage. Love it. So you go through high school and you're playing poker. Um, what? Let's go into the college years. Where did you go to school and what did you study? Went to school at the University of Toledo, got a bachelor's degree in management and marketing. And then I worked in, in for the first two years at a college of president. I was president of student body and President of the university asked me if I'd work for the university for two years. And he said, you know, if you do that, I'll guarantee you your first job will be a real good one. And I said, okay, I'll do it. For, I'll give, I'll commit to two years. So I recruited for the University of Toledo in the eastern part of Ohio, a little bit in Pennsylvania, recruited students, but also got involved with recruiting athletes. And it was, it was interesting. It was enjoyable. It was a great way to start a career. And I got to travel, but it wasn't air travel. It was, you know, just around to different schools, giving presentations, showing them what the University of Toledo had to offer. We had real strong pharmacy engineering business programs. And so that that was my first my first start. 
kind of your first taste of sales trying to sell the it University was. of Toledo. And um, did you figure out that you had a knack for that? Um, I, I did. I, I enjoyed giving, I, I would be in front of 20 or 30 people and give a presentation right off the top of my head with no note cards. And 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 it, it taught me then to move into the next thing with sales. So I, I started with a company called Nakusa Packaging. And you'll never guess the president of Nakusa Packaging was Bill Lambert's father. Bill Lambert, of course, who played for the Detroit Pistons, Bill Lambert Sr. So I, Bill Lambert Sr. hired me. And then Nakusa Packaging was bought out by George Pacific, a Fortune 100 company. So it was kind of interesting. Uh, I got to know Bill Lambert's father. Wow. That's pretty, pretty amazing. And you were at the time a big sports fan? And uh, I, I was love sports, love sports. And was Bill and, Lambeer big um, at that time? Or, yes, or, yeah, I love Detroit. Yeah. I love the way Detroit played tough, gritty, you know, just just ball, balls to the walls, as they say. Beautiful. So you, you, you get the snack for sales. Um, the company gets bought out. Um, are you are you slowly advancing in the company, um, honing your skills on sales and, and, and marketing? I did, I did well with them and I was with their company for three years and I was in Nashville, Tennessee. And after that, uh, a headhunter called me and said, you know, another company wants to hire you. Would you be interested? I said, I'll fly down there and I'll talk to them. And it was a great offer and it was in an unbelievable city. It was Wrightsville Beach, North Carolina, living on the beach and, 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 and traveling part of half of North Carolina and half of South Carolina. So it was a it was just something I couldn't turn down. And Bill had left the company by then, so I wasn't doing anything to him that he didn't like. Gotcha. So you move here. Are you you you'd consider yourself more of a beach guy, city guy, a little bit of both? Uh, you know, it was a great experience for three years. It was fun being 27 years old and having friends that had had boats and we went boating every weekend. And uh needless to say, it was a, it was an awful a lot of fun. And just before that, I had got introduced. I was I was betting some sports, just recreational. Of course, I didn't win, picking my own games. And this bookmaker said to me, you know, would you really like to make some real money? I said, sure. He goes, why don't you go out and accumulate some outs? I'm going to tell you what to bet, and you're going to get a 50% free roll. Wow. I said, are you kidding? I said, yep. I said, I said I'll do it. So it's, it went really well. In fact, it was going so well that he used to send me out to, to Las Vegas to bet on weekends during football season. And the good thing was I lived, I lived in North Carolina. I could fly direct out of Charlotte, which is only four hours from home. But I had sales customers that were fairly close to Charlotte. So it worked out perfect. I could do sales calls in the morning on Friday, jump on a plane, be in Vegas for the weekend, take the red eye back and hit the ground running on Monday. You know, so it was it was a, a great experience, and it, that's how I learned the business. And this guy was, you know, obviously connected with the right people. We always got the right games. The games we bet always moved our way, or, you know, when I say always, 85 90% of the time. And what, this bookmaker, what was his what, what was his name? Bill Van Cleve, out of Nashville, Tennessee, actually. Gotcha. And, um, and, so this is your first break. You're betting into Bill's office. Why do you think he took to you to give you a you know fifty percent free roll just for a customer? He probably had several customers. What made you uh, the guy to say, "Hey, listen, let's go to business together, get some outs, and let's make some money together"? What do you think was? I think the he thought that I was a, 
I think it was twofold, a little self-serving, but also I think he thought I was honest. And I think he thought that I was a business, I had a business acumen and a business background, but more importantly to him is he thought that I, which I could, I could go out and find outs because I had a real job. I wasn't someone making a living betting sports. It's hard to get outs when you're, when, when they find out that that's how you make your living. But if they find, if they know you make your living through a legitimate job, I think it's much easier to go out and recruit and get outs. When you were doing business with Bill before he recruited you to start moving for him, did you, you obviously had a couple of pays of collects and you always, I'm guessing you always paid on time and you showed that you were honorable and, and, and that that's, that was probably the big, one of the biggest things, which he knew that you weren't going to be a problem when, no matter what the figure was. I paid him every Monday. That's just, that, that's just my Monday or Tuesday. That's just the way I do things. Love you it. Know? So now you're getting billed. So um, do you get introduced to, are you starting to work with anybody else? How do you now spiral into working with different groups? You get a taste of the good life. Are you making a lot of money here compared to what your salary I, I is? I was making or? way more than my regular job and I was doing fine with my regular job, but I, the regular job was getting bureaucratic. You know, you work for these large corporations and, and, and it was enjoyable. It was great entertaining customers and doing, you know, golfing. And we used to take customers down to Augusta. But what kind of, you know, just little things like you got $8 million sales territory and they're complaining about a $400 cell phone bill. I mean, that's just a little much for me. And then one, they, they, we, after our second trip to Augusta, they, we had a sales meeting and they said, and then there were a lot of things that led up to this, but the companies have a new policy. The customers are going to be allowed to consume alcohol, but you're not. And, and everyone looked at, like it's normal to have a cocktail with your, you know, your customers. So things just got a little goofy. And I just put my one month notice in. I really wanted to do something different, get out of the bureaucracy. I was excited to come to Vegas. So all a bunch of stuff transpired as they started was was going to go to Vegas. Bill said, you know, I need you to help me out. Don Best needs some help with something. Uh, there's an office going to be opening up in in uh, Margarita Island. Would you go down there for a period, a few months or six months, help them out? You know, you'll, you'll do fine. I think he said it'll be a great learning experience for it. So, you know, Bill encouraged me to do this and, and, and I did it. And it was probably the best decision I ever made. And that was an unbelievable experience. I'd never been on the other side of the table and I was only on the other side of the table for about six months back in the mid nineties, but what a learning experience with the smartest guys in the world betting large, large amount of money in an offshore place. And there, and there was no computers. It was all live. Hey, the number 42 is on the line. Got to raise your right hand, confirm the line. And, and they bet it was, it was quite amazing. So this is incredible. There's a lot of things. Let's, let's, let's take a step back. You, you, did you, you you go to Vegas first? You moved to Vegas or do you go down to Margarita Island? I go to Vegas first. Yeah. Within the first month, we I moved I I worked in Donbass just a couple days here and there and 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 was was still betting uh, you know on the street. I had a bicycle I could get up and down the strip really fast. Again, things were way different in the 90s than they are now. It's like, you know, the lines were different in different casinos and all that is you can't even comprehend the difference um what it was almost 30 years ago. So let's talk about working for Don Best in the mid '90s. What did your job entail, a day to day? Well, when the, the time that I worked there, I was in the in their office getting getting the, the uh, online live with Chris in their front their front desk and and getting line updates so I could punch them in so people could see what the lines were. But occasionally, 
um, there would someone wouldn't show up to work. And they, there was three main, I know one of the main casinos, they always wanted the lines was for the horseshoe. And um, I had, uh, if you want to hear the story, but it's the most amazing story once happened at a horseshoe on a, on a, on a particular game. Um, the, so if you're familiar with back in those days, Doc used to put this red schedule book and it was all in the casinos. And Doc had his big 10 play of the year. And he was like 18 and two in his last 20 years with this play. One play a year. Now he had other plays that went out, but this was like sought after. It always won. Everyone bet it. So it word unusually this particular week, word leaked out that it was going to be, uh, I think it was Wisconsin. And the line was like seven or eight. And it trickled to like 11 or 12. And then he released it and the line went to 14. So I'm sitting there and I hear them on the phone because I was there's a glass window there and you could always hear because it was it was they would bet on the phone. It wasn't again no internet back then. Hey, Walters on the phone. Walters wants plus fourteen. Okay, give him fifty thousand. Move it to thirteen and a half. He wants fifty thousand. Thirteen and a half. They moved to twelve and a half. He bet fifty thousand. He bet it eight times all the way down to plus eight. And what a what a like a what a that's how I learned about Billy Walters. I guess for the first time. The guy just amazing. I think they probably set the game up. I who knows, but you know, obviously, very very attractive for him to be able to get a game that he probably liked at plus eight, and he was able to bet at plus fourteen and thirteen and twelve and eleven and ten. <laughs> yeah, sounds how like it was BW right all over it. So um, it was definitely him. Oh, there's no yeah, question. Yeah, but but him him getting Doc to be able to uh, inspire. Um and release that play as the game of the year because for the line to trickle up from eight to eleven, did word did the did a word get out that the leakage happened? Yes. That's why I would go from eight to eleven before he released it. Is that correct? Exactly, exactly. Gotcha. And and the word would never leak out in the past. That's why I think there was a little bit of a setup. Gotcha. Oh yeah. So all right, so you're at the horseshoe and you have to call in changes. So you call in Don Best and you tell them lines now thirty. So that that was part of the job back then. There was no electronic feeds. There was nothing. You would have to call in the office and tell them the changes, and then people who would subscribe to Don Best would have to use dial-up internet to download the changes once an hour, once every twenty minutes, whatever it was. Um, amazing times. Uh, information moved so much slower than obviously than it does today, but. Um, that's just incredible. Okay, so let's talk about Marguerite Island. Um, you you go you live in Vegas. You worked for Don Best for a little bit. Um, talk about how, you know. Let's describe an office in a, a, a bookmaking office in Marguerite Island in, in the mid nineties. It had um, a big what, a big front front desk. They called the head desk, and they had a bunch of computer. Uh, they actually a bunch of, I guess I don't know about computers, but they had a bunch of setups up there. And 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 the people that were new, like me, would be in the back row. And then there was a middle row and then there was a front row and it was on the right side and the left side. So there was probably about 25 clerks. So the back row people had were only dealing with with square customers. They didn't really care. You just you, you had your line. You you saw up on the board what it was, but they would yell out changes. But if you made a mistake, you knew in the back row wasn't a big deal. But if you made a mistake in the front row, you got screamed out. Like if you you did, there was a line changer. You got double hit because you're supposed to raise your hand when you got a you know a big a major bet if you're in the front row. So I started in the back row, learned, moved up to the middle row, then got in the front row, and that was really exciting to be in the front row. And then I even got to work a little bit as a night manager because there someone had to be in charge. For, at night we didn't close till eleven forty their time because they're four hours 
different than the West Coast. So I got to experience that a little bit. You know, we we rented the house of the uh, the house that I was in with two other guys. It was a French ambassador to France, and it was a, just an unbelievable house in a beautiful gated community with a with a swimming pool, all the all the amenities. And I used to ride my bike from back and forth to work. It was just an enjoyable time. But you know, you got island fever after about seven months. I, I was ready to move on. I was ready to head back to Vegas. Love it. So I learned so much about the business at, at grading tickets, just learned A to Z, you know. Um, and, and there was, was there, there was learned. a website back then. There was no website. Everything was phones. Oh, no, no, no. Everything was on the line, and there was three copies. One went to the main manager, took home, and graded, and two different people graded, and you take turns grading, and then you match the tickets up the next day. Incredible. Incredible. And, and it, it, could, it could be the figures weren't going to be right until noon. You know, people would ask for their figure. Well, we're still working on them. Man, that's just uh, and and and, and there God. were piles of tickets, hundred thousand, hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, on a weekend on a Saturday with basketball and football going. Like this week, we're in Thanksgiving. I can't even tell you. It was like you hardly slept. Man, and 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 you proved yourself to be a hard worker, given that you were in the front row. They don't want to let you go when you catch the island fever. Uh, when you tell the boss that listen, I you know I'm I'm going back to Vegas. Does he take it okay? Is that all right? Or yeah, was... they understood that because when I first said I'm going, I'm I said I will help you for at least three months. But you know, I, I my intention was go to Vegas and do the betting and 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 running up and down the strip and and and, and you know meeting handicappers and doing you know developing an entrepreneur type business. And that that was my intention of going to Vegas in the first place. Gotcha. Okay, you go back to Vegas now. You have experience. From the other side, on the bookmaking side, you have experience betting with um with Bill. Um, what's your next move now? And you already left on best, so you've essentially have a, a probably a lot of people would consider that a career. Like you've worked for bookmakers, betters, odd screens. Um, you know, they pretty much you, you touched every pole here. Um, what's next for you? Well, the biggest break I ever got, and and it, it propelled me to other things. Unfortunately, he's passed away, but. I had to meet, and I did not know this person. Someone said, "Go to this restaurant and 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 you know, we'll, at exactly a certain time, and you're going to meet Eugene Nolan." So I was supposed to take something, Eugene, and I dropped it off. Eugene said, "Why don't you sit and have a drink with us?" And we chatted for a little bit. Hey, have dinner with my wife and I, and there were a couple other guys there. So I ended up spending the whole night with Eugene Nolan, and I did not realize what a legend he was. And he kind of took me under his wings. Taught me how to bet, how to move. Of course, he had a, a little bit of self-serving because he wanted me to help move for him, which was fine with me because his information was as good as it got. I mean, I, again, I didn't know at the time how good it was, but he got the best of the best information. He wasn't flipped on the wrong side very often. Eugene Nolan on my my episode with Tugboat, my buddy Tugboat, he said it was Tugboat said one of the sharpest guys he's ever booked in his life was the Swamper, Eugene Nolan. Um, the guy just couldn't lose. He was just incredible. So you didn't know it at the time how good he was. Did he then say, Hey, listen, I'd like you to start moving betting games for me and getting down? Absolutely. He said, Oh, well, what kind of outs you have, uh, young boy? And and I said, Well, I got some decent, you know, some 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 decent outs. What you know, let's just walk before we run. And I said, uh, you know, you, you call, I think he gave me a pager or radio. I, I can't recall. I think it was a pager at first. And then later he gave me a radio and he would just blurt the games out and I would go bet him and turn them into him. And he was thrilled. He says, you really can turn this much in? 
I said, yeah, because I don't, I don't bet high. I don't keep a lot. It's, it's not that hard. And I had great outs at that point. I had a lot of five dime, you know, NBA outs and, and, you know, five dime college basketball side outs, which is, you know, again, totally different than it is now. So you're, you're betting a bunch of outs. You're doing, you're doing all this thing in the mid nineties um, with Eugene you make you're keeping some for yourself. You're obviously now making. Are you still working for Bill at the time, or exclusively for you? I still did some stuff for Bill. I would still run on the strip. He would call me, give me a list of games, and he said, "Hey, these are at these casinos. Could you run around? And these are the numbers I'm looking for." So I still did some of that at night. I worked a lot of hours back then, but I didn't mind. I, I loved it. And Eugene was really good to me. He would say, "You know, I think you should keep Electra on this game. It's really strong." You know, I, when I'm moving for someone, I never really ask for the ratings, but I have learned over the years that if you do the right by them, they're going to do right by you and they're going to give you hints. They're not, you know, they're going to, they might say, hey, this is a large play. Well, it's real simple. If they call you up in the lines two and a half and three and they say, lay, lay up to three for as much as you can, you know, it's a large play. Yeah. And if the line's mostly three and they say, lay, the line's mostly uh, three and they say, lay, lay only three or lay lines three, three and a half. I'm sorry. Lines three, three and a half. They say, lay, you know, only three and, you know, you kind of know it's not a big play. Gotcha. So this is just, I love, I love this because this is the glory days of of the industry. And just to hear all this is, um, you know, on, on how you'd have to, the the person that made the most is the person that ran around the most that worked hard. Um, Typical week for you was what? 80 hours, 90 hours. What are we talking? Back then it really was. Yeah, that was, that was, that's exactly what it was. Seven days a week. You just almost never got a day off. I think there were a couple Christmas Eves where there was only a couple games or a couple Christmas days. There was only a couple games and maybe worked a few hours or something that day. But other than that, it was pretty much every day. What other and, and, and you, you know, like on Thanksgiving Day, you know, Gene, I used to go to his house and spend the day at Thanksgiving and just to chat with him and learn different nuances of things and how he perceived things and how he read like he was one of the first to have the Don Best screen and he would show me like when something's moving and what might be phony and what might be real. And, and, and I, you know, that was, that was just a wealth of one, once in a lifetime opportunity. He took you under his wings and he was, he was ahead of his time as the, you know, Eugene was a legend of legends. So the word gets out now you're uh, you know, you're one of the best movers out there. You're moving big money for a lot of different, how does then, how do other people approach you? How does the word spread that if you want to get down, you got to call brand. Well, I don't know if it's if you want to get down, you have to call Brent, but, you know, the word got out that that I could help them. And so I would get phone calls from different, different, very successful sports bettors, handicappers. So I not only move for people like if I move for someone like Eugene or if it was, you know, Delmar Larry or, or would it be Fred David or whoever it might be? That's those are their games. I'm not going to ask questions. I'm going to move it and I'm going to keep a little bit and 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 move on. Now, I also cultivated moving for handicappers, where I said to handicappers, you know, you're spending a lot of time out there. You're not getting the best numbers. Why don't you spend your time handicapping the games and let me make sure you get the best possible number? And and, and I'll do the figures and I'll, I'll worry about collecting the money and, and going in and out of the casinos or whatever needs to be done. And I think I help make handicappers better by offering that as a service. Plus, guess what? I got the greatest information. And I was talking to the handicapper directly, which is very valuable compared to just go move this game. 
you know, because I didn't always know as a medium play, as a large play. You know, sometimes they knew, sometimes they didn't. But more times than not, I didn't know the rating. So this is interesting because this kind of, uh, you know, can go and, uh, uh, help people today. There's a lot of handicappers out there, and there's a different skill between being a professional handicapper and being a professional better. A handicapper makes his lines and he makes his ratings, and 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 and, but then to be able to get the money down in the right way and to get the best numbers and to do all that, that's a completely different skill. It's a betting skill. Um, how do you, you know, as a better, um, how do you? Uh, uh, rate handicappers. How do you know when a handicapper is good? How do you meet these people? First off, you know, do they have a big bankroll to start? Um, are they just small time guys? Is it a diamond in the rough yeah. where, you know, how, how do you, how are you able to um, know what's real and what isn't? Well, the industry is, is kind of small. And when you first start with an, a, a new guy, you, you really don't know for sure. So you start, you, 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 Question them on how they arrive at their sides, how they make their numbers, what's their process of handicapping, get an idea how much time they spend, um, you know, how confident they are. Is do, Are they just doing one or two sports? I love the guys that only did one or two sports and not tried to spread themselves too thin. Because, you know, when, when there's, for example, if a guy just does college basketball, he's handicapping 350 different teams. That's that's almost too much for any one guy to do. I like the guy that would focus on maybe just the out of games or just focus on just the mid-level conferences. Um, you asked me a little when you know that. Uh, I think you you asked when there when you know to stop with them. I guess when several things, and this is I this is don't make this sound the wrong way, but if their wife is complaining they're working too much and they're not able to work as much, that's a problem. Um, if they're spending too much time at the kids' soccer games, that's a problem. If the numbers are moving against them, that's a real big problem. If you sense the lack of confidence that they have, uh, that's that's another thing to look for. So there's several telltales that, you know, all good things come to an end at some point. Sometimes the, the, the game just passes handicappers by. They don't adjust to the new nuances of the sport. And, you know, that that's huge because everybody, you know, their edge, dis, uh, you know, um, um, disintegrates and, and, and it just is gone. And you you want to try to be ahead of that before it's completely gone where you you give a lot of it back. So these are a lot of telltale signs. And I love all those tips that you just mentioned to find out if somebody is not as good as they once were. Um, when you break ties with some of these guys, um, how is it? Do you just say, sorry, I just can't work with you anymore. Or I don't think it's, it's working out or how, how well, is it? It usually starts with, I just, I stop betting those games for myself and I'm just betting it for them. And, and I go through a period of time. And then I, I think it just, I think both sides know that it's just, it, it's not working anymore. He gets tired of losing and, and I'm tired of, of moving his games that are losing, you know? And, and again, I'm not, I'm not playing them for myself. Usually towards the end, I'm, I'm usually not betting my own money on those games. Gotcha. So w w when it comes to these handicappers, um, you know, how many would you, you know, let's talk about when you have several handicappers, because this is kind of like the Billy Walters secret sauce in a sense. When you have several handicappers and what, how do you feel when they, ha you know, have a match or how do you feel when they're opposites? How do you handle these type of situations? You know, he, he talked, Billy talked about in his book how he did it, and he had a whole stable of handicappers. But I, during college football, I was able to have as many as five. And I always asked them, 
if they could give me how they, what they made the game. And usually I could find out what they made the game. So I had a big chart of what they made the game or what games I had bet for them. So at the end of the week, I'd say, oh, wow, I got to make sure I'm large on these on, on a certain game. And I'd be licking my chops on certain games. And there are other games, oh, boy, I'm so confused. You know, I got two guys that like this side and one that likes the other side and the other two numbers are where they should be. You know, you know I'm not going to lose money on a game like that. So I would really... I think one of the things that I was able to do is look at guys that matched up, whether I was had three guys handicapped in this sport or two. If you could get the matchups, you could excel past 60% on your winning percentage um, um, consistently on matchups. And that means you're winning more than 60% of your big plays. Beautiful. So you're looking for a consensus when two Absolutely. or more group, when two or more yeah. groups like the same side and they arrive at that independently. That's when you're you're putting a lot more down. And and the best ideal situation is if I could have two guys doing the same sport. One guy is doing it with computer numbers, and the other guy is doing it with pencil and pen. If they can agree on a side, that's the nuts. If the computer yeah. matches up a handicapper, that's what I like the best. Love it. This and and it's funny because this is the you know this is the Billy Walters method. This is kind of the method we use till this day, and uh, it's um it's how you were doing it in the nineties, just like you said with just regular guys, um, pencil and paper guys. Um, do you think today, just to just fast forward, just to think about pencil? You mentioned pencil and pen, pencil and paper. Do you think today pencil and paper guys can win betting sports? Oh. Boy, extremely difficult, extremely difficult. I think there's not enough time in the day. I think you could do it if you had a team of people, meaning let's just say, I still think you need, you need the computer and you need the statistics. But, you know, if you had a team of people that are up at three in the morning, East Coast time, reading the internet, reading the newspapers, that kind of thing. And then you, you, had, you, you need a team of people to do it nowadays. Yeah, to be successful. I, I, I really do. It's it's you have to have multiple angles and multiple people helping you. Hundred percent agree. Couldn't agree more. So let's talk now. You know, uh, any uh, let, let's talk about specific groups. You mentioned Larry Delmore. How was you know um, several groups, uh, several guys you moved for? I know over the years, the poker players, the kosher's, Henry. Um, how talk about some of these guys and. What was sharp and what was, you know, how do you profile some of these? What was your experience like with some of these guys? They were very, very good at being able to separate the garbage and the real stuff. They very seldom made a mistake and sent out something. Very seldom they send something out and two minutes later, stop, stop, stop on that order. Just turning what you got, you know, which means to me that they they got they got turned around or they they were phonied or, or whatever. They were using the information that was coming into their office and they were, you know, using it to to help them. And when I was doing that, I had to be very careful. I couldn't disrupt the market because um, it was, hey, can you bet this quietly? Bet this quietly. It was always bet it quietly. You never could bet it loudly. You could never go to outs that were on the Donbass screen or that were widely known. There was a list of outs that each of them would give me. Do not go to these outs. So there was a lot of trust factor involved in that, and you had to be quiet. They would rather have you turn in half as much and not disrupt the market than then turn in, you know, a full load and then the market get disrupted. So this so is you again, had to really follow their instructions on where to go and where not to go. 
So I had a list written down for each guy where, where I cannot go. And I didn't go those places. So even and then, there, though, and I'll be honest with you, there were there are many people that were moving in that area that were not necessarily following instructions and they were going where they weren't supposed to go and they were getting caught. And, you know, that's that's the wrong thing to do. And they, and they probably didn't get any more orders, and that's it. The relationship gets or, or, or they got the wrong orders. For or they got the wrong. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, so, so you know, let's talk about that because this is an art form that's still used today. Quiet to be able to get down quietly. This was your skill. Now you're you, you're given a list of outs. You're not supposed to hit those outs, but the outs that are okay to hit. After a while, they're going to see that, listen, every time Brant bets, you know, he's hitting at a pretty good clip, you know, whether that be a clerk, whether that be the bookmaker himself, either one. How do you then prevent them from going out and keeping it quiet? What, you know, do you ever have, do you, do you have relationships with these guys where they know you're going to win? Do they know how to keep it quiet? Because eventually somebody's going to be left holding a bag. Um, you, you, you had, Spanky, you identified the number one biggest problem. Because they would call me and say, did you sure you didn't go to one of these outs? I said, absolutely, I didn't. So then we would test certain games, and I found out what outs were going out the back door. So I would call the owner of that store and say, okay, let's see if we can partner together. How about if I bet your store, or, or I call you directly, and you get me down for a fair bet, a fair size bet, but you can quietly go out the door to your places. Because at that time, there were thousands of bookmakers all over the place, and most of them weren't on the screen. So I tried to set a business relationship up with those. It didn't work with everyone. Someone didn't want to do it. Some didn't want the hassle. Others were very willing to help. So they wrote down the bet I gave them. They went out quietly off the back door. And, and I had a handful of, of bookmakers that I could really, really trust that I could go. and They would give me a bet first. And they would go out and and cover that bet plus get themselves down, but Beautiful. it didn't work with everyone, and it was a very big problem in the business. Perfect example of the bookie better relationship. How it's not the same as it is today as it was then, where you could actually call your bookmaker, you identify the leak is with this bookmaker. He's betting, let's just say Rio. I'm just going to give an example or whatever. Some bookmaker that's that's loud, and you're going to tell him, listen, you can't you can't bet this place. You got to work with me. Um, you know, and, and then they work with you. Now, the people that didn't work with you, the people that didn't deal with you, if they don't deal with you, they got to deal with you. I like to say the same thing. Do you then say, okay, no problem? And you do you wind up giving them phonies or you just stop doing business? Uh, different strategies for different people. Um, most likely, I would cut back on the amount of bets I was giving them. And yes, I would give them some phonies or I'd give them some retail business. Luckily, I had the greatest situation. I had guys that were just friends that, Hey, could you go bet this for me? I want to go bet this. I want to bet that. So I could throw in some retail business in there. Right. And that was the greatest thing in the world. When it, I had this guy bet like 10 times a game. Just he just he was a millionaire. He didn't multi-millionaire. He'd go, but could you bet this for 10 times? And I would hit that out and the screen would go red and I would just laugh. <laughs> and that was I, the greatest thing in the world. Oh, that's you know, beautiful. just a retail square. So I luckily had that in my back pocket. That definitely that helps helped. the longevity. Yeah. Definitely helps the longevity. Um, so this is just, I love getting into the weeds and the intricacies of, of, of keeping things quiet. What other methodologies, um, let's just say a line is painted a certain number. Like, you know, did you ever get instructed to not bet the best number? I remember you mentioning a story about a couple of, a while ago. Anything happened with that or did you hear anything about that? Yeah, it, it happened more than one time. 
And one time the line was pretty much split. It was a college football season. The line was split 17 and a half, 18. And the guy called me up and says, do not bet plus 18, only bet plus 17 and a half. I'm thinking, why? He says, just, just do what I said. I'll explain it to you tomorrow. So I, all the places I pass 18 and I bet the places plus 17 and a half. And I asked him the next day, he says, well, the ones you passed 18 thinks you're looking to play the favorite. So they were, they were confused and they thought the favorite was the right side. And the ones you took 17 and a half thought you were, you were semi-square because you didn't take the best number that was available. And that's a great explanation. Oh man. Incredible. Think about that. If I pass 18 and they were seeing 17 and a half taken the screen, they don't know what the heck's going on. I, I, today, if I see something like that, I think somebody's phoning it and the favorite's the right side and I'm laying the 17s. Right. And I get caught with my pants down. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened with some of them. So we had new and creative ways. And there weren't me thinking of these ways. These you guys were geniuses oh, of incredible. thinking of different ways to do things. Incredible. For somebody to have that that much restraint, who was if you don't mind that who, who do you who, who who was the one that instructed that 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 order? Who was do you remember the group that that order was for? Or um, that particular one, I think Eugene told me to do that. Gotcha, amazing to think that you know to have the restraint to not take the 18s, take the 17 and a halfs. So, and, and but when he explained it the next day, it made total sense. Total sense. Like how confused would you be if I called you and you said 18 and I passed? Okay, yeah. and then you see 17 and a half disappearing on the screen. Amazing. Amazing. I, I, this is just so, 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 this, I don't even know if something like this could, could, could fly today. Like, this is so, you know, even though we're talking late 90s here, Brant, like. My something... biggest thing was from 95 to, to probably 10 is when I was the busiest doing this from 96 or 95 to, to 2010. Even though I did some after that, that was the busiest I've ever been during those, that 15 years. That's incredible. Incredible. And, and I got, you know, I got older and, and, and I couldn't work that many hours. You know, I was young then at 30, I could work tons of hours. You get close to 40, it, it becomes harder. And, and are you mostly, you know, when do you start, um, you know, most of the business early on, you were running around to the casinos. When does the, when does the, the business start to change where you're not doing as much running around and you're just doing mostly phone calls? Because, because the casinos became stale numbers. They, they didn't have the variation of numbers. You know, um, it used to be the casino variation next door. They could be off two points. That, that ended as the casinos got knew what each other's casinos were and they all got in cahoots and painted each other's numbers. And then it just wasn't worth it. But did you still right. bet on the phone and with these casinos with the phone app or whatever? You, yeah, oh. it was a phone. It was phone. It wasn't an app. Yeah, it was yeah. you called up, you said your number, and you bet. And Mirage took real high on the phone. Horseshoe took real high on the phone. But again, I, that wasn't for me. That was the originators were doing that while we were moving, and it was a it, it was coordinated sync. Like I had a stopwatch on my desk, and they would say, "Okay, here's the order." We're going to go in exactly 30 seconds. And he'd hang up the phone. He trusted I wasn't going to go early. And I didn't, of course. Exactly 30 seconds, I was gone. And I had other people help me, too. I had radios and pagers in front of me. So, you know, I, I we could hit, you know, between me and, and, and a couple of friends, we could probably hit, oh, gosh, in, in, in one minute, we might be able to hit a dozen outs, maybe, maybe 15 outs. And all quiet. Pretty quiet. Yeah, pretty quiet. Until they started going out the back door. And then, of course, I told you part of our solution to that. Yeah. 
And then did the people that you were moving for, did some of these groups know that some of these places went out the back door? Did they use you? Did they tell you, Brent, we want you to hit this out because we want you to set this game up? They were oh, yeah, we, we, de- we did. Oh, sure. Oh, we definitely did that. Oh, definitely. And they were honest with you. They're never you, – you dealt with the groups, respected you so much that they didn't they, – they always told you if it was a phony or not, obviously. It was very, very rare that someone put me on the wrong side. I'm not saying it never happened, but it was rare. So it would usually be go get seven – go bet seven dimes this loud. Loud met, move the screen as much as you can. And I turn in the seven dimes and then we'd go, we may or may not have an order on the other side. Just because we went out and, and, and wasted wasted $700, they wasted $700 in juice. That doesn't mean that they really like the other side. They just may be screwing around just to confuse people. Love you know, you could send seven dimes out and move the thing, move everything. And then you bet seven the other way. So it cost you $700. Yeah, and, and and you 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 accomplish what you wanted for the future. Um, so just because, yeah. keep in mind, just because you bet a certain side doesn't mean you're coming back on the other side. Or just you may because, come back on on Saturday. You know, this is on Wednesday. You may Saturday they may be in order to come the other way. The gamesmanship and the game theory behind it is what what's the most exciting thing, because if you're seven dimes loud. They move it, and then they don't see any any buyback. They don't see anything. Then they're like, shit, um, how do I know now if the next one is not a real play or not? Maybe I won't move it. Let's see what happens then. Um, and then there you come back, and, and, and you actually uh, – that was the real side, and then you come back stronger. So there's just so, so – so, the gamesmanship is just incredible, to get, you know, behind it. I, I, I find that the most fascinating part of everything. Now, I don't know if you ever had this, but I had two outs that took a dime. And on Thursday, they would fax me the lines, and the lines would never change. They would be good until all the way through Sunday. Yeah. So that was the best. And I put them on a recorder. You put them, you call and put them on a recorder. What you're going to bet? Yeah, we, we had a guy just as recently as probably six years ago that that had a voicemail, and he would give you a rundown on a voicemail, and you would just get to place your bets on the voicemail, and yeah, um, and they, they would move. They, they would. I had a fax machine. They fax machines were working back then. Yeah. And they faxed me the lines on Thursday. Incredible. And they were good. And I was sitting on my desk all weekend. But they got a lot of bets. Yeah, I remember probably 2008, 2009, there was a lady booking and I called her up and she says, oh, I forgot the newspaper in her car. Um, can you call her back in five minutes? And holy shit, it was like one of that was the first call that we made. And I'm like, this is like incredible. Like, how is this still happening in, in, in this late in the game where they have to go get the newspaper from the car? But um, yeah, you, you, you know it's 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 amazing. So all right, let's talk about some of these other groups. The poker players, one of the so such a legendary group. How um, you know, uh, are they w- w- mostly baseball or w- w- what was you know you're you're working all year round, right, Brandon? You said Christmas Eve. That's about it. So this is a three hundred and sixty day a year job. A couple of days for the All Star break and Christmas, and that's it. You're working every single day, every sport, every day, and 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 the harder you work, the better you did. Um, the you know pokers and the, and and the coaches went through a lot of them through Jerry Crouch who unfortunately just passed away. He was the head of of, of everything. And again, you know, once they develop trust in in baseball, you know, it's it's real easy. People want to scalp it, and you know, he'd call him up the screen maybe 28, 29, 30, 31, 32. He says, "Can you can you give me thirty dimes minus minus 30? I said, "Yeah, write it down." So which meant to me, he didn't care if I lay 28 or 29 or 31. You know, he's he's down and that's all he cared about. So, you know, that, that's how you develop relationships. And you, so you make a couple pennies. And, 
you know, he's, he, he basically said, you're entitled occasionally to make a few pennies. You know, you're out there working, you're taking the risk, you're guaranteeing the money. Um, that's a, that's a big thing. Everybody got a right to earn. Um, but and, not and, scalp. Uh, one of the yeah. things I think that helped me the most, like guys, would, you know, I'll never forget the time. Though it was one and a half and twos, mostly twos. Guys said lay up to three in a college basketball game. Oh, my God. I was betting for an hour straight. You know, just betting everywhere I could bet. Well, it must have been a super play. They won by like 22. You know, it was a joke. They were never, it was, the game was never in jeopardy. But, you know, I didn't scalp them. I turned in what I bet because, because guess what? Next time I'm going to get that same order first and I'm going to have the opportunity to, and, and I got, you know, I had some free roll situations going with these guys too. So I was betting some for myself, but also had some partial free rolls. So, you know, it was, to, it was behooves me to get down on the best place for the most amount possible because that, that I had a big earner. And they knew you were honest. Again, you, you you mentioned at the beginning, Grant, that you're honest, you're being honest, always, you know, guaranteeing the money, uh, paying on Monday or Tuesday. This is this is what made you, you know, one of the best that, that's ever done it. Um, and uh, well, I wasn't afraid to work hard, and I think that's really important. And, yeah. you know, I, I Fats taught me a lot about math. He was pretty funny. He would make me, he'd torture me. If our figure was over $100, I would say, just split it. He said, no, we got to go through it. And we go through it. And all of a sudden we find out we're off by 3000 or something. But he, he, he's a great math guy. And if you ever need a math guy, Fats is a, is, is a fantastic math guy. He really knows his numbers, knows the value of things. He taught me about buying that I thought was a waste of money, but he taught me when to do it. And, and very important. Yeah, fats. Um, I I always thought I got you know uh, to show that you know my uh my credit was great. I say, listen, there's nothing stronger than the bank of spank, except there's one, <laughs> there, there, there's there's one bank though that's even stronger than the bank of spank, and that's the bank of Brandt. And that and that, that was a fats line that's uh that I still remember to this day. So. You know, <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's being funny. I love it. I love it. So um. Okay, so do you ever work for Billy Walters at all, or indirectly, or or no? Well, I'm sure that some of the stuff that I was moving was probably his games. There were two different occasions that he he summoned me. Someone called me. Billy wants to go to his office, and that was his office was over in Valley High Golf Course, and they have a nice restaurant over there. So I went to Billy's office, and twice he asked me to move for him, and I declined the first time, and the second time. I said to Billy, I said, well, I would consider it, but are you going to really tell me what side you're on? And he looked up, he was honest, he smiled and said, no, I can't tell you for sure what side I'm on. <laughs> he was honest. I give him credit. Yeah, you know, as, as Billy said, there's not enough money for me to win and you to win. And he was so successful in his career where you, you can find fault with every single person, including myself. But Billy was an absolute master at moving large sums of money at great numbers. No one can shake a candle at how good he was at that. Nobody comes close. And you asked the right question, and he, he answered you perfectly honest. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with being honest. Nothing wrong with that. I know, and, and I respect him 1,000% for his success. And and he, he talked about someone that worked hard. You know, He outlines in his book, and I, I was reading that, I said, that's me. You bet all day long. You do figures all night and you bet all day the next day. It's just like you just keep on going. And I thought to myself, that's exactly what I did. 
incredible. Hard work pays off, and, and, that, and that's the name of the game for anything that you do, not just in this business, in the sports business, sports betting business, but in any business. You just got to work your ass off and work hard, and, you know, uh, having a strong work ethic is just everything. Um, so, you know, what, you know, you, so you're doing this, you say, till 2010-ish. Um, what makes you say, listen, you, you've been very successful, done, you know, done well for yourself what makes you say okay you know what i sit now i want to no longer sweat games i just want to play you know did you just want to just retire play golf what do, what do you you know how do you take the step away um from you know the constant grinding well i wanted to do some i wanted to do some other things i did some other business things i did some real estate things i did some private investing things other challenging what i consider challenging things so i wanted to you know, I just had enough of it, of doing the same thing. And, and I was getting older and wanted to be able to play golf and do other things. So you know, I just thought it was a good time to, 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 you know, I still bet a few games here and there, still go to the casino and bet a few games and that's fine, but I don't, you know, I, I'm not making a living doing it. And I'm, I'm certainly not uh, up sweating games until, uh, to the, to the last game ends. So Brent, um, this is so enlightening, so incredible. I, I appreciate you sharing the story. This was absolutely great. Um, there's a lot of people that are that are looking to do what you do, be whether they be movers or handicappers or anything, to try to get into the business, try to break in. We call this podcast "Be Better Betters." Is there any piece of advice you could give someone um, on how they can get better at their craft and how they can? You know, I know you touched on a lot of the basics, the main skills that you have, but if there's any one or two pieces of advice you want to just reiterate, uh, feel free to do so. Well, work hard. Uh, if I was new in the business, I would I would go to uh, the Bet Bash and, and try to make a lot of contacts. I went to it the last two years, and, and and it was great catching up with a lot of people. There's a lot of experience in that in that room that I saw, so I I would do that. But I would I would. I would always try to reinvent yourself. What what works today may not work tomorrow, so you have to keep an open mind on new ways and better ways to do things. And you you got to be keep an open mind to the the process. Brent, one thing I wanted to touch upon the skill that you have, I think that that's that's like the it factor or or something a skill that, that you can't really it takes years and years to develop, is your ability to be able to kind of uh, make a, a a call on how strong or how weak somebody is, you know, whether they're betting or if the money's good or you know because of your sales experience and because you know you're working for these Fortune 100 companies. Um, how, you know, like what, is there any books or how did you get, you know, I know it's impossible to teach a lifetime of work in, in a, in a, in a, in a podcast, but any advice, you know, even for myself or for anybody listening to be able to, how, how do you make the right, you know, again, you're never a hundred percent, but how do you make the right call on evaluating someone and saying, I want to do business with this guy versus I'm going to take a pass. The first thing is when you start, even if a situation looks really, really, really good, don't go all in. Walk before you run. Test the waters, and 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 massage the situation as you're going. What you know? So so when you say 
you know, if it looks really, really good. Have there been times in which you've seen something that was too good to be true? Was it really too good to be true, or was it actually it? Like, I, you know, because I most of the times, if it's too good to be true, we just auto pass at this point. Because every time it was too good to be true, Chinese Mike, I'm, I, he tell he proposes something, somebody reach out, I'm like, it's too good to be true, just forget about it. Just can't. There's no shot. It's only going to end bad. Like how do you know? Just like, you know, is meeting somebody face-to-face, is that a big thing, you know, versus just on the phone? Oh, it, it's, it, it's a huge thing. Face-to-face and spending quality time with someone. There was someone I was going to do a real estate deal with, and I said, let's go play golf and talk about the details. I saw this person was cheating. He was, like, kicking the ball when it was by a tree. He was moving the ball to a better lie. I said, are you kidding me? I thought to myself, there's no chance I do business with that. So there is a lot to be said with spending time with someone um, that you're discussing a, a business venture with. They see you learn so much about a person on a golf course. Is that is that? Oh my God, I, I've, I've closed tons of sales deals on a golf course and 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 learned so much about people, good and bad. Incredible, Brent. This is unbelievable lessons. You're a legend. Um, I'm so happy. This is a long time coming. Um, thank you so much for coming on and, and, and sharing your wisdom and your experience and, um, and, and your success story and, and how you got there. And I hope anybody, anybody, anybody listening could definitely, there's so many nuggets that you've shared, myself included, um, um, that, that, that I, I definitely learned from you and, um, it's a pleasure being your friend. And I really, uh, thank you, Brent, for, uh, for coming on my friend. I just like to close Banky. Thank you for what you do to help betters. You're not selfish. You you spend hours and hours putting on Bet Bash. You spend hours and hours putting together the Spank Odds, which is a great program. You you do things that you don't have to do to help other people, and and everyone should be grateful to what you do as well. So thank you. I appreciate it, Brent. I'm I'm all these businesses. Eventually, you know, I'm going to try to make a profit on somebody. So I, I don't. <laughs> I, I, I'm not trying. I don't want to be uh, looked as a saint when I'm just a businessman, but yes, I, you know, <laughs> I, <laughs> but no, I appreciate it. I try to put quality stuff out there. This podcast, for example, I don't make anything on this, but you know what? It's one of my most fun. When I get a guest that I love, such as yourself, that I know is the real deal has been around for so long and we can have great conversation and great stories. This gets my blood pumping. This gets me excited because this is what it's all about. You know what I mean? There's so many people out there that are unknown to the business, unknown to the industry. And, you know, like, and I think that, you know, unless you're in the inside, the insiders know, like everybody that's a who's who knows who Brant England is. But a lot of the new guys don't understand how much of a, of, of a legend you are and how much you've impacted the industry and, and, and how an incredible guy you are. So to be able to shed that, bring that to light to me is the most important thing. And I, and, and it means the world to me because I know you don't do this kind of stuff and you're more of a private guy. So for you to do this, it, it, it just really uh, touches my heart, brother. And I can't thank you enough. But thank you for your very, very kind words. Thanks so much for the time. Until next time.